Thank you for tuning in to the Bread of the Word podcast. Bread of the Word is an online ministry striving to feed people the life-sustaining bread of God's Word. Bread of the Word exists for the reclamation of the Bible in the heart, mind, and walk of all the saints of God, for it is the Bible itself which is the ultimate standard by which people are to live and honor God. Thank you for tuning in. This is Bread of the Word. Hello and welcome back to the Bread of the Word podcast, Reclaiming the Bible and Exalting Christ, one verse at a time. My name is Tyler, and um, this is a bit of a surprise. I was not planning on doing a video this week. Um, I had a very difficult week emotionally. Um, In the words of Spurgeon, I am prone to reaching certain depths, and this was one of those those deep weeks. I was was down in the pits much of this week. I, I favor some um, uh, called depression. Um, I personally favor Luther's way of describing it as anfektung, which means attack. That's very much how I felt much of this week. But um, I'm I've I've been feeling much better these last couple of days, and I felt led to put something out. Um, I have no notes. I don't have any. I don't have like a Rolodex of quotes from Church Fathers and all that um, laid out before me. What I have is one of the Psalms that was very good for me this week. And so essentially, I just want to share some of what I have seen in this Psalm as I have been praying this Psalm. And so the title of this, this episode is A Week on My Knees. And let's go. So if you want to follow along, we're going to read part of Psalm 22 on the first first 10 verses and it says verse 1 my God my God why have you abandoned me why are you so far from my deliverance and from my words of groaning my God I cry by day but you do not answer by night I have no rest but you are holy enthroned on the praises of Israel our fathers trusted in you They trusted, and you rescued them. They cried to you, and were set free. They trusted in you, and were not disgraced. But I am a worm, and not a man, scorned by mankind, and despised by people. Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and shake their heads. He relies on the Lord. Let him save him. Let the Lord rescue him, since he takes pleasure in him. It was you who brought me out of the womb, making me secure in my mother's breast. I was given over to you at birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. Now, this is a psalm that the superscript tells us was written by David. It is not a fun psalm to read. Um, this is, um, quite literally, this is a psalm that Jesus quotes on the cross. This is not one of the, the, the wedding psalms, if you will. This is not something we sing at weddings. This is a funeral psalm. This is, I am dying. This is, I am in agony. 
but there's comfort in that still. Because whatever comfort, whatever lack of comfort we have, this psalm reminds us that we are not alone. And I think it worth noting that this psalm in its entirety can be attributed to Christ. Psalms are the most Christocentric, Christ-centered book of the Bible. More so than John, more so than the Gospels, because these are the songs of Jesus. And when Jesus is on the cross, he quotes verse 1, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And that is a great place to start. Because A, it puts us in the, in the company of Christ. It says in Hebrews that he was tempted in every way that we are tempted. Which makes him an even better priest, because he's been where we are. But he was where we are, and he didn't sin in it. It didn't take him away from the Father. Because he is God. But he took on a human nature to experience that temptation, to, um, to subdue that nature himself, to do what Adam did not. To abstain from evil, to do what is good. And part of that meant experiencing evil, experiencing s tendencies like that, and denying them. Starving his flesh in a way that you and I can't. And so when we read, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from my deliverance and from my words of groaning? These words usher us into the company of Christ. Who, who sang the psalm, who prayed these words as he groaned on the cross. Verse 2, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, I have no rest. The word cry in Hebrew is a very intense word. This is not, um, it's not a lackadaisical verb. This is, this is a very intense word. Um, kara. I might be mispronouncing the Hebrew, but it literally means, kara means to karai. To, to be in an uproar. This is about as intense of a word as you could possibly use here. It's the same word that we read in Psalm 130. Out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. We read it in Jonah. When Jonah, it doesn't say that Jonah preached in Nineveh. It says that he cried aloud. That he was in an uproar. That yet three days, Nineveh shall be overtaken. And so what David is laying out here is a very intense Dependence on God. Noting that where I am, I have no strength. I have nothing in this fight. I don't have a dog. I don't, even, I don't even know where my dogs are. All I can do is cry. And not just cry, but cry to God. Even when it seems he does not answer. And there is an element, I think, here of David being frustrated. That it seems that God is not answering according to David's timetable. Essentially, why do you, why? Why do I feel like this? Why does it seem like my prayers are bouncing off the clouds? Because verse 3, you are holy and you are enthroned on the praises of Israel. So why? Why? 
our fathers trusted in you, the God of covenant of Isaac, Jacob, and e not of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Our fathers trusted in you, and you rescued them. That you have a track record here of deliverance, of rescue, of sufficiency. They trusted in you and were not disgraced, were not brought to shame, put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by people. We don't know exactly what the historical context is to Psalm 22 when we get to these verses, when David starts writing about being scorned by mankind. But I think it does relate to what we talked about last week in Ecclesiastes, about wickedness in the place of righteousness. And the great tragedy of that, says Solomon, is not the presence of unrighteousness, of wickedness, but rather that there is no no one to comfort the oppressed. It's not so much that there is oppression, but that we are alone in that oppression. That every bit as horrible as the presence of the oppressed is, is the fact that they are isolated in that unfair world. Because it is not good that man should be alone. And so for David to say, I am scorned by mankind, he may not be speaking literally that he is hated by everybody. He may be speaking in a poetic fashion that I am alone. As another psalm, Psalm 88 reads, I am alone. My companions have become darkness. And there is an isolation that he is experiencing here. And it's an, it's an isolation that some of us are acquainted with. Everyone who sees me mocks me. He relies on the Lord. Let him save him. Let the Lord rescue him, since he takes pleasure in him. That, that, that sense of isolation, of feeling like the whole world is stacked against you, that is something we are very familiar with, oftentimes. And this is something we see often in the Psalms. This is one of the um, trademarks of David. Honestly, if we go back to um, Psalm 2, why does the heathen rage? Why are the nations in an uproar? The kings of the earth set themselves against the Lord and against his, his Messiah, his anointed one, which we, we read that as Christ, but in the Old Testament period, they would have read that um, in two ways. They would have read that about the coming Messiah, but they also would have read that about the king of Israel. They would have read that about David or whoever was on the throne that, at that point because they were anointed Messiah. They were anointed. And so we have this, this thread here of the wicked being opposed to David. And David in this scenario is likely a stand-in for Christ. And now he was hated by the world. John 15. I've spent some time in John 15 lately. Because um, people have always told me that the Christian life is easy, and that, uh, it's easy-peasy, lemon-squeezy. John 15 dutifully informs me that it is difficult, difficult, lemon-difficult. Verse 18, if the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. 
However, because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of it, the world hates you. Remember the word I spoke to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. And that, that ties directly in here, I think, that <clears throat> there, is, there is opposition. There is isolation. Um, when we are abiding in Christ, there is a sense of isolation from the world, that we are cut off. And this ultimately goes back to some of the language we read in Genesis and Exodus with circumcision, this idea of being cut off to a, an exclusive covenant with God. That when we are we're brought into God's people, into his fold, that there is an element to where we are cut off from the things of the world. That is a phrase that God uses a lot in Leviticus, of being cut off. But he also says, do not do as the Canaanites do, as the Egyptians do, because God's covenant people are different. And part of that difference means that life is difficult, difficult, lemon, difficult. It's hard sometimes. There are days where I do not feel like reading this book. There are days where it would be easier to go back to bed, where it would be easier to just not wake up today. There are, there are times where in the, in the sea of my own inability, of my own low feelings, of my own low thoughts, that sinking seems like a very sensible thing to do. But then I'm reminded that this is not just a book. I don't have an option here. Either I read this book or I die. This is not the flu shot. I'm not getting inoculated from anything. This is life support. It says in Isaiah, if they do not speak this word, it's because they have no light in them. Other translations say it's because they have no dawn. That too, if we do not speak this word, it's because we are darklings. We are of in and of the dark. God is light. And in him there is no darkness. That's John 1 5. 1 John 1 5. He is light. This is the message we proclaim to you that God is light. And in him is no darkness. And so when depression happens, God is light. And in him there is no darkness. And he keeps us. Even when we don't feel like it, he keeps us. Verse 9, it was you who brought me out of the womb, making me secure at my mother's breast. This is something that Augustine quotes directly in his book, The Confessions. And it is, it's incredible to me just how much Augustine um, talks like the Psalms. That it, it's hard for translators to identify scripture quotations in Augustine because it's hard to see where Augustine ends and where the Psalms begin. He knew the Psalms like the back of his hand. He quoted the Psalms often by memory. He was, he was absolutely saturated in the Psalms. But he puts it this way that I was a baby. Dead in my sins. 
dead in my trespasses and transgressions against God. Wholly opposed to everything he is. And yet he kept providing for that baby. That from the moment he entered the world... He was his. It was you who brought me out of the womb and making me secure my mother's breast. I was given over to you at birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. There is so much we can garner from that statement. You could take that to the bank. In the middle of this description of suffering and pain and agony, David says, You have been my God since my birth. You could, t you could take that verse and set it as an anchor. Because we have this truth as an anchor to the soul. That Christ has gone behind the curtain. As our high priest, he has gone behind the curtain, having become a priest by the order of Melchizedek, meaning he is something older and greater than the Levitical priests, that he is something eternal. He is an eternal priest. And he goes behind the curtain and he intercedes on our behalf as a perfect priest because we are his. I've, I've been working through um, the first couple books of the Bible lately and I've been working through Exodus and Leviticus right now. Exodus is loaded with God's faithfulness even when Israel was not. All the way back to the beginning. If you follow, you can follow this this trend of God's faithfulness to His covenant people. Go all the way back to the burning bush. It says, "I have observed the misery of my people in Egypt, and I have heard them crying out because of their oppressors. I know about their sufferings, and I have come down to rescue them." from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them from that land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the territory of the Canaanites, the Heathites, the Amorites, the Persiites, the Hevites, and the Jebusites. So because the Israelites cry for help has come to me, and I have also seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them, therefore go, says to Moses. I am sending you to Pharaoh, so that you may lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So why did he do this? Because I have seen their misery. I have seen their suffering. And what we've got to keep in mind is, God is omniscient. God knows all. He didn't have to look down from the clouds and see it, because he knew. But he still did. Because he is the God who sees me. Moses felt perfectly comfortable 
under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, portraying God as someone who had to look down on his people and find things out. Not because he believed God was not omniscient, but because there is something to be said about God seeing, seeing him, knowing him. And so God intervenes in the oppression of the Israelites because he has seen them. They're not a mystery to him. They are not unknown to him. They are known to him. And when Moses goes to Pharaoh, what does he say? He says they are to go and serve Yahweh. They are to leave Egypt. This is the God who saw them. This is the God who saw Moses in the wilderness, who saw the Israelites in their oppression. It is the God who sees me in my depression, in my anfek tongue. The God who sees me. And he sustains me even when I don't feel like it. Even when I feel rotten and low and pitiful. I am sustained and kept by God. Not because of anything in me, but because he is a good and gracious king. This is the God who sees. Psalm 3, verse 5 says, I lie down and sleep, and I awake because the Lord sustains me. When David writes that in Psalm 3, he is a wanted, essentially a wanted fugitive. He is on the run from his son who seeks to kill him. And in that, the Lord sustains him. That is something he is able to recognize, even when the evidence before him seems to say otherwise. The Lord sustains me. And dare I say that we are never more united to Christ than in affliction. When things do not seem fair, when things hurt. And we read the, read the Psalms that Jesus sang. When we read, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Can you be any closer to Christ the suffering king? than that. And so in closing, I want to encourage you that there is, there is a purpose in an affliction, in suffering, because God sees. God is not oblivious to what you're going through. And it may, that may not seem like encouragement now, but the reality is that God sees, God is aware, and God is working for good. The most bitter lemons. Because life is hard. It is. Um, life is hard with Jesus. Life is hard without Jesus. And so it's not choose the easy path. It is choose your heart. But with Jesus, there is a purpose. With Jesus, there is a way this plays out 
that ends in your good, that ends in good. Because we don't come to a mountain that can be touched, but we come to Mount Zion itself. We come to a spiritual reality, not just a symbol of it. Revelation 21, this is how I'm closing. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, Look, or behold, God's dwelling place is with man, and, and he will live with them. They will be his people's. And God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more. Because the former things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I am making all things new. He also said, Write, because these words are faithful and true. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Bread of the Word podcast. I pray that it has been beneficial to your walk with God and that he has called you into a deeper relationship and fellowship with himself. If you want to hear more from Bread of the Word, feel free to hit that subscribe button down at the bottom. Get notified about new content whenever we go live. Um, you can also watch us on Rumble Video and YouTube, or you can listen on your favorite podcast platforms. Um, you can also find us on social media if you want to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Gab. Links will be provided in the bio um, if you would like to check those out. And there will also be a message in the comment section, um, a free gospel message for download entitled The Two J's, The Joy of the Potter and the Journey of the Clay. That is something that I've written, that's something God laid on me to write and then send out. And so I'm not making anything off of it. I'm not selling it. It is free for you to read and share. We need a further saturation of the gospel in our world, in our culture. And it starts right here. Bread of the Word Ministries exists for the reclamation of the Bible and the exaltation of Christ through the reading and teaching of His holy transformative word. I hope you guys have a great rest of your day. God bless. Matthew 4.4 4.